Well, to be honest, um, I, I speak about forgiveness so much because he doesn't come to mind, right? And if I hadn't embraced that, then there's there's no way in the world I wouldn't think about him daily. But I don't. Um, but when he when he does come to mind, because I do share a lot, um, he's still a man that never said sorry for killing nine people, right? He's still a man that that said, you know, he probably couldn't do it again, but he wanted to start a race war in this country. So he, he didn't apologize at all. Um, and so because of those things, that's why forgiveness is so huge for me. Man, I remember I was on vacation with my family, extended family, in-laws, got up in the morning, came into the living room area, saw my hometown on TV, where I lived, where I still live, Charleston, South Carolina. To my chagrin, it was not a good news story, though. I turned to my father-in-law and I asked him what the world happened. And he told me that nine people during Bible study in their church, they were shot and executed last night. And to my disbelief, obviously, I was glued to the TV for hours. I'll never forget online watching family members of the nine victims in a courtroom looking at the shooter in his eyes on a big screen confessing forgiveness for him, acknowledging the crime, but making clear that he is forgiven. Days removed from the murder of their family members, man. A miracle. Absolute miracle. Sharonda Coleman Singleton, 45-year-old pastor, speech therapist, and track coach. One out of the nine victims shot and killed. And her son, Chris Singleton, joins us today. He's an author, motivational speaker, former professional athlete. We talk about those moments of of finding out about the murder of his mother. We talk about how he has processed this the last six years. We talk about forgiveness as well as where we are at as a society in 2021 with racial reconciliation and equality. So in honor of Black History Month, I present to you Chris Singleton and his story of loss and forgiveness in honor of nine victims and their families. Chris, thank you so much for being on here, man. This is a uh, gosh. This is one of those shows that I'm looking forward to doing, and at the same time, the the story hits home big time for me. Being born and raised in Charleston, James Island boy, remembering all too well, and obviously, <laughs> when you reflect on it, it's it's a whole it's at a whole new level, whole different level. Like, can you kind of take us back? If yeah, I know it's probably a painful thing to do, but June seventeenth, two thousand fifteen, where were you? Did you get a phone call? Some, you know, how'd that transpire? Yeah, I, I call um, June seventeenth, like the the, the the unthinkable, right? Something that happened um, to me and my family that we would have never in a million years thought would happen. Yeah, and I actually did. I got a phone call uh, from my mom's phone, but the lady wasn't my mom on the other end. 
and basically told me, Chris, you got to get down here to our church right now. Something terrible happened. Um, and then I got down there and that's when things really became real. And I, and I found out that my mom was taken away that night. And we are following breaking news. A gunman opens fire in a Charleston, South Carolina church. 4029's Joshua Cole has new information. Police say they are still searching for the man they believe is the gunman that shot nine people in a Charleston church last night. In a photo released this morning, this is the man they say they are looking for. This man, they say, is 21 years old. He's a white male. They say he entered the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church and opened fire on a Bible study class. Authorities say three men and six women were shot in the attack and three people survived. We do know they are now saying that the pastor of the church, who was also a state senator, was shot and killed. Many residents now concerned for what this shooting will do to the community. It, it just it blows my mind that your mom, as well as uh, was was it nine others? Didn't he leave one person alive that that were having a Bible study? Yeah. So there were uh, nine people that were killed um, and there were actually a couple of survivors. Yeah. 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 So they had welcomed. Dylan into their Bible study, and that was maybe like the third week that he was there. Do you know? Um, no, it wasn't. It wasn't the third week that he was there. Um, but he had been he'd been before to check things out. Um, but yeah, that's the day that he actually stayed there and 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 did what he did. Yeah. Do you ever do you ever think like if you were at that Bible study, what? What would you have done? Because I I've thought about that too, and I'm I'm like I, I guess everybody was just in complete shock. I mean, obviously, I don't know how it all went down, but like if you were there, do you think that you would have tried to stop them? I mean, do those thoughts go around in your head? Yeah, um, and I do know all the details. Yeah. Um, you know, some of some of the the grieving process for me was getting answers to all the questions yeah. that I had. Yeah. You know, some people um, that they want to leave things open ended because they don't want to think about it. But me personally, you know, I want to know how everything went down. And so um, there was really no time to react. Yeah. Right. People, they, they were praying and uh, he opened up fire and he actually started with uh, Pastor Pinckney and then uh, worked his way around um, the table. And as what people were hiding under the table, he continued to, to fire. So um, I thought about what I would do in that situation. But at the end of the day, um, there was no time to react yeah. for, for, for people. So um, it's easy for us to say, you know, I would have tried to stop or save lives, but you no, know, to be frank, you know, there was no time for any of that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So basically this whole, this, this time between you and I was set up because I am a pastor at Seacoast and I went to a youth event that you were talking at. And when I was listening to you, just something really stuck out. And it was, you know, here, this guy is reflecting on someone who killed his mother. And every time you refer to Dylan Roof, and and you probably remember what you said, and I, I, I don't know if I have the exact words, but every time you said the person that killed my mom who was misled and misinformed, is that what you said? Every single time you mentioned him. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I, I usually say. You know, misinformed, misguided, misled, all, all the above. Now, how? so I, I, it's easy for me to, to jive with that. Like, I... I I didn't lose my mom. So it's easy for me to be like, yeah, we just, he was misled, misinformed. Like, how do you feel about people who would say, come on, Chris, the dude's just straight up evil. 
No, he, what he did do something that was extremely evil. Right. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Right. He walked into a church and fired over 70 bullets while people were praying. So it, it was definitely evil. Um, but where did that evil, where did that come from? You know, he was misinformed to hate people that look like me. Right. So it stemmed from somewhere. Um, and that's why I say he was misguided because, you know, even people that, um, you know, do harmful things or hateful things, uh, they're mis they're misinformed on who they are and whose they are. And that's why they do them, I believe. You tell people to go be, go to work, do do right, go to church. These people were in church. They in were church. in church. In church. And, they, and, that, and they violated the sanctity of that. We are communities trying to live and survive. Why do we have to live like this? We have enough issues here now in Charleston. Yeah, yeah. Do you, so, gosh, this is like, do you have the same train of thought when you think back hundreds of years ago and just the the I, what I would call a very dark time in our country when slavery was just accepted people go to church they praise the lord they talked about scripture then they come home and make their slaves do certain things and probably beat them for stepping out of line and stuff like do you reflect on slavery and then the lynchings in the 1960s and all of that in in the same light like just simply like obviously that those are evil acts but these are human beings that are misled and misinformed like is it as simple as that to you well it's definitely not as simple as that i would say um if i were to you know not even going back hundreds of years but going back you know 60 years right. when when people hated you know, people based on the color of their skin. I mean, unfortunately, it still happens today, but it was more common back then. I, I do think we've come a long way. But even then, I think that was, yeah, it's evil to hate somebody or to spit on somebody based on the color of their skin. Uh, but it's all misinformation, right? I think, and then like you said, hundreds of years ago, as a human being, I, I could never see myself, you know, you know, whipping somebody, you know, extremely hurting somebody, right? Uh as a human being. And I think that is definitely evil, but it's all from a, a misunderstanding. It's they, they don't understand that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, right? I, that's the stuff that comes to my mind when I think about hundreds of years ago, although it was evil, they were just misinformed. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. Yeah. It's, it's something that, you know, my, my listeners have heard me talk about this too. It's something that I'm trying to help my, my kids understand because I, I really appreciate the fact that they're growing up in a society where at least, at least with them, racism is absolutely unacceptable. Inequality in any way, shape or form, completely unacceptable. But I don't want my kids to fall into what you obviously are, are, totally anti which which i mean such a great example to my kids is not putting people in these boxes of uh, evil person good person and and here's what i'll do is i i've asked my daughters before i said listen do you think that your great grandmother who they were able to get close to do you think that she died thinking that blacks and whites were completely 100% equal and they you know to their chagrin they're just like no probably not. And I said, well, why? And I was really happy. They said, because she was taught a certain way her whole entire life. Now, and then I said, well, did your, did your poppy change throughout her life? And they're like, yeah, she changed a lot. I was like, exactly. I said, she probably has changed more in her life than what I've changed in my life. But it was in her generation of change, you know, and I'm just I'm just trying to it doesn't it doesn't excuse racism in any form. But I'm, I'm just really trying to help them just not write people off and to to consider where people 
come from. And so, you know, I think about, I think about Dylan Roof and what, when you, when you think about the guy that, that, that took nine lives, one being the one that gave you life, like, how do you, how do you reflect on him five and a half years later? Like Dylan Roof comes to mind. What does that look like in your brain? Well, to be honest, um, I, I speak about forgiveness so much because he doesn't come to mind, right? And if I hadn't embraced that, then there's there's no way in the world I wouldn't think about him daily. But I don't. Um, but when he when he does come to mind, because I do share a lot, um, he's still a man that never said sorry for killing nine people, right? He's still a man that that said, you know, he probably couldn't do it again, but he wanted to start a race war in this country. So he, he didn't apologize at all. Um, and so because of those things, that's why forgiveness is so huge for me. Right. Because if if I had not forgiven him, then I'm going to be seeking that daily. Right. And, and wanting him to apologize, wanting to get revenge and all those things. But I'm free from that. God blessed me and put forgiveness on my heart um, so that I'm free from those emotions. So when he comes to mind now, I, I can only hope that, you know, he doesn't feel that way anymore. But to be honest, even if he does, it doesn't affect me in my everyday life and my mission. Golly. So check, listeners, check this out. One day after Chris lost his mom, quote, love is always stronger than hate. So if we just love the way my mom would, then the hate won't be anywhere close to where love is. We've come together as a community to try to get past these things. A tragedy has happened, but life is going to go on and things are going to get better. Chris, one of the things that is an automatic tearjerker, sometimes sob for me, is when I look at footage, and I don't know if you were actually physically there or not, but when loved ones of the victims of the shooting are looking at Dylan Roof in the eye and telling him, this is what you did to us, and we forgive you. I just want everybody to know, to you, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. I just say it. You know, I forgive you and my family forgive you. But we would like you to take this opportunity to repent. Repent. Confess. Give your life to the one who matters the most, Christ, so that he can change it, can change your ways no matter what happened to you, and you'll be okay. Do that, and you'll be better off than what you are right now. We welcome you Wednesday night in our Bible study with open arms. You have killed some of the most beautifulest people that I know. Every fiber in my body hurts. And, and I'll never be the same. Tawanza Sanders is my son, but Tawanza was my hero. Tawanza was my hero. But as we say in the Bible study, we enjoyed you, but may God have mercy on you. Although my grandfather and the other victims died at the hands of hate, this is proof, everyone's plea for your soul is proof that they, they lived in love, 
and their legacies will live alone. So hate won't win. Doctor was my sister. And I too thank you on the behalf of my family for not allowing hate to win. For me, I'm a work in progress and I acknowledge that I am very angry. But one thing the pain has always joined in and our family with is that she taught me that we are the family that love built. We have no room for hate, so we have to forgive. I pray God on your soul. As a fellow brother in Christ, you and I, I look, you know, and I look into Dylan's eyes, and I know it sounds crazy, and and I know some people, maybe even off-putting to some people, but I look into his eyes, and there is a a a hint of of compassion to this guy because you look into his eyes, and there's such dark, deep sorrow. I mean, it's just, he just looks like a lost, dark human soul. I mean, it's it's um. Were were you there that day? Like that that footage that that you can go and watch right now no i I personally wasn't there um and and in that that clip i've watched it probably a million times and i think the fact that first of all forgiveness was placed on our hearts and i don't want your your listeners to be um confused that that's a miracle um uh, god putting that in our hearts to forgive the next day yeah that's that's something out of this world and there's no other explanation but god placing it on on the families um but not every family member forgave. I want people to understand that, gotcha. right? Because there's somebody out there saying right now, oh, God put it on their hearts and now it's, it'll never happen to me. Uh, but not everybody was like that at first, but people have moved towards it years later. Some some people, it was the next day. Other was, it was four years ago. I mean, four years from then. And others um, are still struggling right now, right? So it's not an end all be all, but I know for a fact that God placed it on, um, people that in, that were in the courtroom that day, and then me the day before, um, when I said it at my my church, I'm actually at my school vigil. So um, yeah, I definitely want people to understand it was it was the, definitely a process for some, right. but for me and for other couple other family members, it was kind of placed on us um, from from the man above. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. That that makes sense. It is a miracle for sure. You know, I think about so I I had an episode on here a few weeks ago, and it's a, a spoken word hip hop artist, a friend of mine, Jason Petty, goes by Propaganda, and a new friend of mine, Jamie Lee Finch, and we actually were talking about what does love look like in 2021 with all the polarity and. You've got a, a huge a huge sect of one side that truly believes that a huge sect of the other side is completely evil and they will not hear or listen and, and it's the same going both ways. And so we talked about this and as I was talking, I, I realized that I, I think a blind spot I have is, you know, given that I'm a Charleston boy and this this tragedy hits home with my heart, I I will actually think about forgiveness and here's where we should be. Here's what we should do. Look at guys like Chris and some of those other families that forgave the very next day. And it occurred to me that that, that word should may not be super, super helpful because of what you just pointed out. This is what I fall into. So we had Chris Singleton. His, uh, I want to honor his mom, Sharonda Coleman Singleton. His mom was uh, executed uh, at the Charleston 9 
exe- uh, massacre. Mm-hmm. And so uh, her son was talking to our youth group and she, he basically, every single time he mentioned Dylan Roof, he said, Dylan Roof did such and such. Every single time he said, because he was misled and misinformed. Misled mm-hmm. and misinformed. I heard him say that so many times. Misled and misinformed. Yeah. And then, uh, and I can't watch this without getting choked up when you see the the family of the victims looking at Dylan Roof straight in the eye and basically saying, we forgive you. I think mm-hmm. my problem is I look at something that miraculous and I think, yeah, that's that's what we all should be doing. Yeah. <laughs> because that's the worst of the worst. You know, some racist, and that's that's an understatement. Yeah, gets involved in a community that welcomes them with open arms, joins that community a few times with the plans of shooting them. Yeah, and this family, mm-hmm. these these family members, they prioritize forgiveness. And so I see something like that, and I'm like, see, that's the answer. That's that's yeah. how that's how we fix everything is is we we forgive yeah. the worst of the worst. But then I think it goes back so to my position yeah. in society. <laughs> Does that make sense? Like as far as the pitfall that I fall into by saying, see, see what they were able to do, like everybody should be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I think people have to realize, Joey, that it wasn't it wasn't us. It right. was God placed that on us, yeah. you know, so I think to hold people to that standard is kind of. You know, it's unrealistic. Gosh, that's you know, so Chris, good, man. Chris, Chris Singleton didn't didn't. There's no way in the world Chris Singleton at, at 18 is going to say, yeah, I forgive my mother's killer for killing her because she's black. Right. Yeah. That's how I know for a fact it was a man above. Yeah. There's no ifs, ands or buts about it. I mean, I think when people see it like that, um, they'll realize, hey, OK, that was something out of this world. But that is a pure example of how God is working, though. Yeah. You know, the, and I think when people look at it like in, the, in that lens, instead of like, uh, you know, you should, you know, Turn the other cheek and let right. him hit you again, right. you know? So it, there's definitely different ways you can can think about it. And I've always realized that, you know, God placed that in my heart because now I know the power of forgiveness. Right. And because of that, now I can teach it. Right, right. Yeah, it's so, you know, I, I was I was writing this down as I was thinking about this this time with you and and now putting together what you're saying as far as this was a, a, a miracle given to you to be able to forgive in it. And it's like, it, it makes so much sense because Christ, Christ is imparting to, you know, Christ is already inside of you and he's also imparting to you something that only he could do because your mother opened up to Dylan with love and hospitality and you can join us, come, come to our table of fellowship she was killed, and then the the same the same blood that was was slain by this guy lives in you, and you return with Dylan with forgiveness. And I'm thinking Jesus, <laughs> just how Amen. he said he, he he come to me, all you who are weary. I mean, and that was everyone, absolutely everyone, including the people that ended up killing him. And and then Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And then the resurrected Jesus having forgiven. I mean, it, it, man, that gives me chills to see just how Jesus like <laughs> that, that all is, which, which to me lines up with the fact that that was a, that was an impartation from God to you and, and some of your family members, man, that's, that's just golly. That's so awesome. I, uh, oh man, I just, uh, I would love for you just to take a couple minutes, like tell us, tell us about Sharonda Coleman Singleton. Like, what kind of lady was she? 
Yeah. Um, number one, she was from Newark, New Jersey. Um, so she had a little uh, street street uh, knowledge in her, right? <laughs> uh, growing up where she grew up and how she grew up. Um, but one thing that was different was, you know, I never I never struggled for anything. Yeah. Um, growing up, my mom was a teacher, so I never understood how the how it worked. Uh, how could she she could stretch stretch a dollar that much? Yeah. But she always did. Um, she was also you know our children's church pastor at our church. Uh, she was funny, right? She loved R&B music. Yeah. Um, and and uh, she was a track coach. I think I mentioned that. But, man, she was really one of my best friends. We loved watching the, the Taken series. You, ever, you know, the Taken movies, Lee and Nissi, <laughs> Yeah, you know? dude. Heck yeah. We watched, we watched those together. Um, and so, yeah, she was, she was everything and then some. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I wish uh, I, I should have. Um, and and I actually at the end of this episode, we're gonna tribute and just read everyone's names. And I wish I would have looked up that um, one of the victims was actually our librarian who we just saw regularly. You know, just every time we checked out books, you know, our kids uh, were were familiar with her and everything. And um, you know, I uh, I was thinking like. Post post nine eleven, for instance, everyone you know everyone was on edge, and there was certainly a level of like once once people were flying again, there's certainly a level of disconcern and and uh, you know anxiety towards seeing someone of Arab Islamic descent in some way, shape, or form getting on, on a plane. And, and personally, I don't know how helpful or good that is, but at the same time, I feel like that's a very realistic fear given what happened to our country. And I'm, I'm curious, does, does, uh, does the church who suffered this atrocity, would there be, I mean, what would happen if they, if that happened again, there's a Bible study going on, let's say every Tuesday night, and there's a, a white young man who wants to join that Bible study. Like, is it, is it seen differently? Is it handled differently? Is it, is, is there more caution, <laughs> a different way of approaching that? Yeah. Well, I think number one, we've already seen how uh, more churches have taken in, you know, higher security levels. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and that's not on accident. Yeah. A lot of people thought there's no way in the world somebody would do that to a church. And to be honest with you, Joey, I, I've studied it and it's happened multiple on a multiple occasions since then. Um, so I think it's okay to be you know nervous like that. I think our experiences kind of shape uh, how we look at things, but at the same time um, I could say the same thing for myself. Right. I, I could never trust a, a young white male if that's the case, you know? So yeah. I don't just think we should go on things based on our experiences. We have to, you know, our, our, our stories are real. Yes. But it's not the end all be all. Yeah. Um, I'll hear people say to me, Chris, you know, I know you're on this mission of love and unity, but you know, I'm 67 years old yeah, and I grew up in a different time than you. Yeah. And nobody was showing me love and unity when I was coming up with yeah. the skin color that I have. Yeah. And so I understand people's experiences because that's real. But at the end of the day, it's, that's not the end all be all because if it was, then we won't get anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about your life matters, man. I'm, and, and I'm, I'm not just saying this, I'm definitely going to pick up a copy, but, uh, tell us you're, you're a children's book writer, man. That's pretty killer. Like, tell us about that book. 
Yeah. So my, my, my first one was called different, a story yep. about loving your neighbor um, that released last year, um, five years after my mom was taken away on the anniversary. So it brought smiles that day instead of uh, sadness. And then uh, as everything went on last year in 2020, uh, me and my editor got together and we started talking about, um, you know, what we can do. How can I use my voice? Right. Because I'm not a person that wants to talk about the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Yeah. And so. Uh, it's just a, a reassuring way to teach about black history. Uh, we have different black heroes in there. First black president, Barack Obama, Jackie Robinson, Birth the Color Barrier, Jesse Owens, Maya Angelou, Harry Tubman, just phenomenal black heroes in this story that are telling a little uh, young black girl, your life matters. Um, no matter what you may see on TV or what you may see on social media or what somebody says in your class, like you matter. Your life matters. Your courage matters. Uh, your, your imagination matter. There's so many different things that we, we talk. It's really just reassuring um, and giving self-confidence to little black boys and black girls while also teaching black history to every kid throughout the book. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. Hey, last thing I want to ask you, because my wife and I were talking about this in a, a small group with some other couples. And I where where are we now in 2021 when it comes to racial reconciliation we obviously know the what what just happened uh 6 months ago with rioting and and all of that and i don't i, I i'm certainly i don't i don't get to make the call on this but when i reflect on where we're at as a society wouldn't you say that so racism is alive and well but wouldn't you say we're in a day and age where it's at the very least not acceptable to the masses. In other words, I was watching an uh, LA uh, riots documentary, you know, that happened just a measly 30 years ago. It seems like just yesterday I was 14 and some of the interviews to the to police officers and some people in the media, I'm like, I cannot believe they're saying this, talking this way. I was like, they're, they're literally saying racial stuff and they're getting away with it and nobody's in like a huge uproar. And it seems like we're at least in a time and place to where if you are a racist, you don't want you at least don't want people to know because it's not acceptable. Would that be would that be accurate? Like, where are we at in 2021? Yeah, I think in 2021, we are there. Yeah. Unfortunately, sometimes people felt prideful enough to you know, shared that they, 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 they are racist uh, in, in a couple of years ago. Right. It was it was real. But I think to your point, I think we're at a point right now where um, it's frowned upon. Right. Yeah. I don't I don't want my co- people to know that my cousin's racist. You know what I'm saying? Right. Back in the day, it would be like, oh, man, that's just how he is. Now it's like, ooh, that that makes me feel uncomfortable. I'm embarrassed about it. And so uh, I think for the first time, to be honest, people are actually putting themselves in the shoes of someone that doesn't look like them. And, it, and it, it, could, it didn't happen 30 years ago. It might not have even happened 10 years ago. But last year, you couldn't look away. And you said, you know what? What would I do if I were in this position? And that happened for the first time for a ton of people. So yeah. we're, we're moving in the right direction. I, I can't I can't complain at all, man. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. So I lied. I'm going to ask you one more question. Was the Super Bowl thrown? <laughs> have you read all that <laughs> rigging stuff, man? <laughs> man, to be honest with you. I looked I looked at that stuff and I just came to the conclusion that Tom Brady is a phenomenal athlete. His mindset is incredible and he's one of the best athletes of all time. Greatest athletes of all time. Right. No matter what sport it is. That's the conclusion I came with after watching that football game. Yeah. Where they they dominated. Yeah. 
well, I'm a Green Bay fan, so I'm going to stick with my narrative that it was thrown and they gave it to Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Clementa C. Pinckney, the church's pastor and South Carolina senator, 41 years old. Cynthia Marie Graham Hurd, 54 years old, manager for the Charleston County Public Library System, actually the Svenson family's librarian. Susie Jackson, 87. Ethel Lee Lance, 70. DePayne Middleton Doctor, 49 years old. Kwanzaa Sanders, 26, the youngest victim, graduate of Allen University. Daniel L. Simmons, 74. Sharonda Coleman Singleton, 45. And Myra Thompson, 59 years old. <laughs>